the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. This great nation will endure as it has endured. Let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on earth. You are about to embark upon the great crusade toward which we have striven these many months. The eyes of the world are upon you. The hopes and prayers of liberty-loving people everywhere march with you. We're not, as some would have us believe, doomed to an inevitable decline. I do not believe in a fate that will fall on us no matter what we do. I do believe in a fate that will fall on us if we do nothing. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. From every mountainside, let freedom ring, and if America is to be a great nation, this must become true. So let freedom ring. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is Always Right Radio on AM 1420, The Answer. Here's your host, Bob France. Alrighty then. Yes, indeed. Good morning to you. It is 10 minutes after the hour of 9 o'clock on this Free for All Friday. Where's Mr. Scream? He's not working today. Mr. Scream, you on the job? Hey. Yeah, that's what we do on Fridays. It is a free-for-all Friday, although we do have a few guests that we're going to be talking to today. But uh, when the opportunity arises, uh, in between the guests, before the guests, after the guests, hit them where they ain't, right? That's what we talk about. Uh, we will do free-for-all, meaning whatever topic you want to get into, even if it's not the one that I happen to be on at the moment, will be just fine. Whatever you want to say, whatever you want to ask, what your comment or question is, you pick the topic, and we'll do it on a free-for-all Friday. It is the 14th morning of the fourth month of the year of our Lord, 2023. But as noted, we do have some guests uh, on the docket for today. Coming up in uh, about a half an hour, we're going to talk to Dr. John Lott. Dr. John Lott is one of the foremost gun experts in America. He is with the Crime Prevention Research Center. He knows the Second Amendment backwards and forwards and probably upside down as well. You ever try to read letters that are upside down? It's hard. Anyway, don't ask me how I know. John Lott will join us, and we're going to talk about why it is that all these mass shootings that we continue to see happening, um, it, it, there's something very, very familiar about them. 
What is the one commonality that we have in all of these mass shootings? And the answer, of course, is that they are always taking place in gun-free zones. That's right. Churches, uh, schools, banks, places that always have that sticker right on the front of the door that says uh, it is illegal to carry a firearm concealed or otherwise into this premises, blah, 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 blah. No guns allowed here, which, of course, is just an open invitation for a would-be shooter, a, a demented, evil person. Um, it's just an open invitation saying, I know I can kill a whole lot of people in here before the cops get here because nobody here has guns to shoot back at me. So Dr. John Lott is going to talk about why that is and what that means and what maybe we can do about that. So coming up, that's at 9.35. Coming up at 10.35, um, Governor Ron DeSantis was in uh, in uh, Akron, in Summit County anyway, at the Summit County Lincoln Day breakfast. They didn't do a Lincoln Day dinner. You know, we just had a great Lincoln Day dinner held out in uh, Medina, Medina County. Uh, GOP did a great job with that one with Dr. Ben Carson. So Lincoln Day dinners are kind of the norm, but... Um, they did a Lincoln Day breakfast, and Governor Ron DeSantis from Florida was the keynote speaker at the Lincoln Day breakfast at Summit County. And to say that he killed it is an understatement. I watched the entire speech that he gave. Uh, he gave uh, he gave a speech to a very raucous, packed capacity crowd at that uh, breakfast, and uh, I'm going to share some of it with you. But moreover, I'm going to get the thoughts of somebody who was there for the entire thing. It featured a lot of other people as well. Treasurer Sprague was there. Uh, GOP Ohio GOP Chair Alex Triantafilu was there. Uh, uh, Frank LaRose was there. I mean, most of the who's who of Ohio uh, GOP politics were there. And so was Tom Zawistowski. Tom Z was there, and we're going to talk to Tom at 1035 about what he liked, didn't like, what his impression of Governor DeSantis was in person. But I watched it on video after the fact, and it was uh, terrific. I'm going to share some of that with you. So uh, that's uh, Tom Z at 1035. And then at 1110, we're going to get uh, back into the tax thing because you have to get back into the tax things. Grover Norquist, Americans for Tax Reform, is going to be with us. The IRS announcing 30,000 more staff hirings over the next two years 30,000 more the question then becomes how many more IRS agents after two years after 2025 remember we can expect 87,000 new hires by the time their 80 billion dollar expansion under the Biden administration is done what does that mean for you what does that mean for the likelihood of you uh, being audited and having uh, somebody uh, crawling through every single thing you've ever done to make sure that every receipt is in order and every uh, decimal point is in the right place and so forth. Just essentially assuming Americans to be guilty before uh, they are able to prove their innocence. That's a problem. We're going to talk to Grover about that. So there you have it. We're going to have uh, great conversations with Dr. John Lott, with um, Tom Zabostowski, and with AF or AT, um, excuse me, Americans for Tax Reform President. I was about to do it, ATR. Uh, President Grover Norquist, uh, all on the program this morning. And, of course, as noted, on a free-for-all Friday, you are the most important guest we have, 216-901-0945 or 888-281-1110. We're going to talk about life to start the show today. Because um, it's, well, it's, it's an extraordinarily important time in this state, and quite frankly, nationwide, and some very important people are doing some very great work. We're going to tell you about that after we do our Pledge of Allegiance. Patriots, go ahead and stand. Face your flag. If you would, please put your hand on your heart and join us for our pledge. If you are not a believer in protecting life, because it doesn't look like life that you recognize, well, and you'll understand what I mean, um, you 
have no earthly respect whatsoever for that flag and the liberty for all that it represents. So you are exempted from the request to stand and pledge your allegiance to it. You may instead take a knee next to that old unemployed quarterback over there. As for the rest of us, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. So we're talking about life, and we're going to be talking about this for some time. Obviously, we are all very, very much anticipating the showdown in the Ohio House with Jason Stevens, the stolen speaker, um, who is the who is wholly opposed to the idea of defending unborn or preborn life in America by making sure that we get um, a special election in August, at which point we can pass HDR one and raise the threshold to change the Constitution in the state of Ohio to sixty percent from fifty percent, which would, in all likelihood, stop outside forces from pouring money into the state of Ohio. Um, in order to pass a ballot initiative to embed abortion into Ohio's constitution. You know the drill. You know what is at stake right now. So I want to, I want to share a couple of things with you. The first one, we're going to go back down to Florida for a second. Since I mentioned Ron DeSantis, he made news for another reason yesterday. In addition to the, uh, terrific speech that he gave at the, uh, uh Summit County Lincoln Day breakfast. Yesterday, the Florida State Legislature that passed the Heartbeat Protection Act Thursday, which limits abortion in the state after a heartbeat detected, that legislation was passed, and it was sent to Ron DeSantis, and Ron DeSantis signed that law into effect in Florida, which is almost identical to the law that we have here in the state of Ohio. And to both of those things, I say... Can you dig it? Governor DeSantis signed the bill into effect, making it a law, and it is it is obviously so extraordinarily important because of what it represents. I make this point, obviously, every time we talk about it. I don't think it can be made often enough, quite frankly. We have a lot of, uh, uh, you know, people that may or may not, you know, understand this or hear this often enough. But to me, the heartbeat law, other than having a law that just says straight up, Moment of conception, you cannot uh, have an abortion after the moment of conception, um, you know, which, of course, is a little bit difficult to determine, depending on when, when the woman finds out that she's pregnant and so forth. But short of that, this, to me, is about as good as it gets. And the reason why is because a heartbeat law completely destroys, it definitively destroys um the idea of my body, my choice, being a defense for abortion. It's my body. I can do what I want with it. I don't tell you what to do with your body. Do whatever it is you want with your body and leave me alone to do whatever I want with mine. My body, my choice. That's the argument from the pro-death crowd. And that's pro-death is accurate, by the way, because the opposite of life is death. So the opposite of pro-life is pro-death. So the pro-death crowd has been using my body, my choice, for a very, very long time. The reason the heartbeat law, of course, is the best law, I think, outside of just flat-out complete ban on abortions, is because it destroys, or excuse me, because the heartbeat law recognizes the definitive existence 
of a second life, a second body. Human beings are born with one heart, not two. If there are two heartbeats, there are two people present. That's just the reality. If you and I walk into a room and someone were to put a a stethoscope up to two different places and find two different heartbeats, you'd see, yeah, there are two people here. Well, if you put a stethoscope in two separate places in a pregnant woman and you get two separate heartbeats, you have two separate bodies. My body, my choice no longer applies. My body is not that body. That body is a separate body. That body represents a separate heart. That body represents a separate life. And guess what? A second heartbeat representing a second life effectively must outlaw the taking of that life. Because taking someone's life is murder, not health care. So Florida Governor Ron DeSantis has signed that law. It is now a a law in uh, Florida, signed that bill, making it a law, the Heartbeat Protection Act. Um, Don't let anybody tell you that it's a six-week abortion law. They tried to do that crap here in Ohio. We have had the heartbeat law here in Ohio for about three years now. And they tried to use that after Roe versus Wade was overturned. They tried to use the story of the 10-year-old girl being forced to go uh, uh, to uh, uh, Indiana to have an abortion because she found out one day after the six-week period passed. You remember that, right? One day, that's when they found out she was pregnant, and because of Ohio's horrible, horrible, draconian law, she can't go and have an abortion. So she had to go to to Indiana to do it. It is not a six-week law. It is a heartbeat law. Is it a fact that, yes, heartbeats can generally be detected around six weeks of pregnancy? Yes, six weeks of gestation usually uh, is, is about the time, but it is not about the date. It is about when a doctor actually can determine and hear the heartbeat. So that's important to note. DeSantis said in a press release, we are proud to support life and family in the state of Florida. I applaud the legislature for passing the Heartbeat Protection Act that expands pro-life protections and provides additional resources for young mothers and families. Huge victory in Florida. Now, as I said, we've had that law already in the state of Ohio for about three years, almost four um, Governor Mike DeWine signed that one. It's one of the few things he has done that is worth, uh, you know, his weight in blank. Um, but he did, and that was a huge victory here in Ohio. Now, there's a new story right now on the Ohio Press Network page, Jack Windsor's Ohio Press Network, saying that Governor DeWine wants to consider expanding or strengthening the heartbeat law. I don't know what he means by that. DeWine said, though, to avoid passage of that abortion amendment in November that I just mentioned, Ohio needs to revisit the heartbeat law and ensure that Ohio has, quote, sustainable legislation that voters will not overturn at the polls. Quote, what people are going to do when they go in to vote is they're going to compare that abortion rights proposition, the, you know, the ballot initiative, versus the status quo. This is Mike DeWine talking. And what I have said is that I've suggested to members of the state legislature is we want to have a bill that protects human life, but we also have to have a bill that is sustainable and will not be overturned by the voters at the poll, end quote. So it sounds to me like when Governor DeWine is saying we need to strengthen the heartbeat law to maybe stop people from wanting to vote to uh, for that ballot initiative to embed abortion into the Constitution in November, it sounds to me like when he says strengthen it, it almost means weaken it. It means weaken it a little bit so that the people will say, okay, well, we still have good access to abortions through maybe a period of time past the heartbeat. 
um, and therefore we don't need to pass this this radical you know uh, referendum to to go through you know as a ballot a ballot item on the uh, Ohio Constitution. It sounds to me like that's what Mike DeWine is saying because that's what would make it sustainable. As it is with just the six week slash heartbeat law, and again, don't be fooled by the six weeks. Um, maybe that's not good enough for some, and they will vote for that ballot initiative in November. So he says he wants to make it sustainable. That to me sounds like he wants to make it a little bit weaker, but we will find out. Meanwhile, I told you we were going to talk about life to start today. The third story comes from the Biden administration, which has now asked the Supreme Court to step in after a federal appeals court walked back part of a decision to suspend FDA approval of the widely used abortion pill, the abortion drug, but not the full request to completely block the ruling. Merrick Garland, the AG, said yesterday that the DOJ would be turning to the Supreme Court after the Fifth U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals in New Orleans issued a ruling late Wednesday that only partially reversed a ruling from the U.S. Judge Matthew Kaczmarek in Texas that had caused that had paused FDA approval of the abortion pill. The Justice Department strongly disagrees with the Fifth Circuit's decision. Garland said, we will be seeking emergency relief from the Supreme Court to defend the FDA's scientific judgment and protect Americans' access to safe and effective reproductive care. And by the way, I just should go without saying that the euphemisms that they use, this, this, this flowery language, reproductive care, there is nothing reproductive about taking a pill that kills the baby inside of a woman and forces her to deliver a dead baby. There's nothing reproductive about that. If anything, it is simply re-destructive. But that is going to go to the Supreme Court. There is no question about it. And lastly, at 925, I'll tell you this. In the six months since the Dobbs decision, or after, the six months immediately after the Dobbs decision, rather, an average, this that means Roe versus Wade's overturn, an average of 5,377 fewer abortions were provided in the U.S. each month, or 32,260 new lives were allowed to be born. Babies were allowed to have a shot at life. 32,260 fewer abortions cumulatively. This comes from a Society of Family Planning report, which sought to comprehensively determine the new legal regime's material effect. And the numbers from July to December of 2022 represent a drop of greater than 6% compared to the period before. So babies' lives are being saved. And that should be the beginning and the end of the story. If you have a heart and you don't believe in murder, then you will absolutely be ecstatic about that. Okay, 926, we'll take this time out now. We're going to come back and talk talk more about life, but a different kind. Stopping the taking of life by radical mass shooters. Picking soft targets, gun-free zones, to go in and shoot places up and try to make themselves infamous. Dr. John Lott is going to join us to talk about that coming up on AM 1420, The Answer. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Always Right Radio with Bob Franz on The Answer. 
Okay, 936, we continue on this free-for-all Friday. Don't forget Tom Z coming up an hour from now. He was in the uh, audience yesterday as Ron DeSantis spoke at the Lincoln Day uh, Breakfast. We usually do those dinners, but at Summit County, they have the Lincoln Day Breakfast. We're going to hear uh, Tom Z's report on what he heard from the Florida governor as uh, he moves ever closer, I think, to making that announcement about running for president. We're also going to talk uh, with Grover Norquist about the impending tax agent attack that is coming. 30,000 new agents going to be hired in the next two years to comb through every aspect of your life as the weaponization of the government against the people continues. So those conversations are coming up, but right now I want to welcome John R. Lott, Dr. John Lott from the um, uh, 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 Crime Research Center, uh, joining us on AM 1420, The Answer, to talk more about, well, Mass shootings. We've had two just in the last month. Obviously, Nashville, Tennessee, the Christian school shot up by a 28-year-old transgender woman. Uh, and, of course, uh, just uh, earlier this week, we had the terrible shooting of the old National Bank in Louisville, Kentucky. And John R. Lott joins us now uh, to discuss. John, thanks for the time this morning. How are you, sir? Well, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Crime Prevention Research Center did a lot of work on this. And I want you to try to tell us what you can, John, about about soft targets you know we 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 focus on this as much as we can um you know on programs like mine but it doesn't get the national coverage that it should and that's why i'm so glad to have you here and doing the work that you are doing tell us about some of the research that you've done that shows that these mass shooters are not just going willy-nilly into any particular place that they try that you know that they decide to target they are always going to choose a place where they don't have bullets fired firing back at them the gun free zones are always their first choice targets can you tell us what you found Sure. Well, I mean one just needs to read the diaries and manifestos that these mass murderers leave behind they they often spend a lot of time in those documents explaining why they picked the target that they did. You know, these guys want to commit suicide, but they want to commit, they want to get a lot of media attention. They know the more people they kill, the more media attention that they're going to get. And it's not rocket science. They go to places where they know victims aren't going to be able to go and defend themselves. Uh, at the Nashville shooting, uh, the Biden administration is taking control of, uh, of the manifesto and they won't release it, which is extremely unusual. But, uh, the Nashville police chief got to look at it before it was turned over to the Biden administration. And, uh, one of the things that he announced was that this murder had actually had another primary target that they were going to go after, but had decided not to go after that because they discovered that there was armed security there. Uh, we don't know what target it is yet because the Biden administration won't release the manifesto. But they picked the school because they didn't have that concern. They weren't worried about it. You know, you look at the Buffalo mass murder from last year, uh, the same thing. That person uh, had a long discussion about why he picked the target that he did. And over and over again in that document, he talks about his ideal target would be a place where people wouldn't have uh, guns for protection, that he wanted to go to a place where people wouldn't have permanent concealed handguns because he worried that if there was somebody there with a permanent concealed handgun, it would make it much more difficult for him to go and kill people. You look at the Louisville shooting that just occurred uh, this week. This murderer there uh, was an employee. Uh, the the we don't have any statements from him yet about it, but one thing we do know is that 
he attended 8.38 in the morning when the bank was closed, only employees involved in there. Mm-hmm. And, and as an employee, he would know that having a permanently concealed handgun on an employee was a fireable offense. It was, it's, it's clearly stated uh, right up front in the employee handbook that's there. And so he goes in when he knows uh, nobody there would have, uh, uh, have a gun for protection. Again, I don't have a direct statement from him like I do in other cases, but people can go to our website at crimeresearch.org, and we have quotes right up at the top of our page from one murder after another explaining why they picked the targets that they did. These guys may be crazy in some sense, but they're not stupid. That's well said. Dr. John Arlott is our guest. He is the uh, president of the Crime Prevention Research Center. I'm looking at crimeresearch.org right now, and I'm looking at exactly what was uh, stated in the employee handbook or, or, or whatever you want to call their their uh, uh, their, their uh uh, employee guidelines, but it says possession of dangerous or authorized material, unauthorized materials such as explosives, firearms, or any kinds of weapons inside the workplace or on company premises. In some states, there are additional laws about the subject when applicable state law takes precedence over these guidelines. But this is directly from the old National Bank employee handbook or guidebook, or again, we're guidelines, whatever we're calling these things, but it says exactly that. So he knows if he goes in during business hours, at least there's a chance that somebody, some patron, some banking customer might break the uh, gun-free zone rule and be armed and may be willing to shoot back at him. But he knows that it, as you say, 8.38 in the morning, the only people there are employees. And the employees are not going to be breaking that violation or, or that law, rather, or that rule, that guideline, or they're going to be fired. So these people are very strategic, despite their you know, uh, reputations as being obviously lunatics and, uh, you know, deranged killers. Well, you just need, these guys spend long periods of time planning these attacks. Six months is often a short amount of time that they spend planning these attacks. Some of these killers, like the Sandy Hook killers, spend over two and a half years planning the attack. But look, you know, take something like the gun-free zone schools in Tennessee, if you or I were to break that rule, it's punishable by six years in prison. For you or I, that would be that would completely alter our lives. Our lives would be destroyed if we had to spend six years in prison. But take something like this murderer who murdered six people, assuming that the murderer had lived, and they would be facing six life sentences or six death penalties plus some other felonies that were there, is the notion that if you're already facing six life sentences, that an additional six years, you say, oh, I can live with the six life sentences, but you impose the additional six years, that's just too much. I'm not going to go and commit the crime. For you and I, that's a life-altering penalty that's going to be there, that six years in prison. But for somebody who's already going to be facing six life sentences, it's nothing. It doesn't mean anything at all to them. And so what, what they do is these penalties just ensure that the law-abiding citizens obey the law, and that these criminals can take advantage of the fact that they know that they'll be the only people that will be there. So the law, these penalties actually have the perverse impact of just ensuring that only the law-abiding citizens will obey the law. Dr. John R. Lott is the founder, in addition to to being the president of the Crime Prevention Research Center, 
John, you have an article on the page now at crimeresearch.org uh, from March 28th, uh, how mass killers pick out venues where their victims are sitting ducks. Is it as simple as the sticker on the front door that says no guns allowed that makes this a gun-free zone that people use, or is there more that goes into it? No, I mean, I, I think it's these guys spend a lot of time casing the places before they attack. Uh, we find that time after time, these guys spend a lot of time planning. And so, you know, the question, you're talking about a school, for example, do you want to sign in front of the school that says this school is a gun-free zone? Or do you want to sign in front of the school that says warning, select teachers and staff are carrying concealed and will use uh, their guns to go and protect uh, students and others that are there? Mm-hmm. You know, we've studied all the school shootings in the United States from 2000 on. And what you find is that there are literally thousands of schools that have uh, have armed teachers. You have 20 states. Uh, it varies the number of schools in each state. But you have literally thousands of schools. And yet, with all those schools and all that experience, there's not been one attack where anybody's been wounded or killed at any of those schools where teachers are caring. All the attacks, every single one of them, have occurred in places where they're banned from being able to go and have guns for protection. Look, you know, one thing I disagree with a number of conservatives on is uh, the way they set up these school resource officers. Um, uh, you know, there's been proposed federal legislation, and in Tennessee, the governor there is uh, putting forward legislation to have one armed uniform officer in each school. Here, here's the problem. For, for sky marshals, for example, would you put sky marshals in uniform? Of course I don't not. think anybody would do that. What, and, and the reason is obvious. If you put a sky marshal in uniform on a plane, then terrorists are going to attack. Who do you think they take out first? They're going to take out the uniform sky marshals. So, of course, nobody would ever think about putting them in uniform. And the same thing is true with school resource officers. If you have somebody in uniform there, you give the attackers real tactical advantages. If we have one person in uniform, they can uh, wait for the person in uniform to leave the area before they attack, or they can go after another target uh, that's there themselves. Or if they're going to do the attack in that place, who do you think they take out first? Having one person in uniform is kind of like having a neon sign above them that says, shoot me first, because the murderers know that once they shoot that one person, they're going to have free reign to go after other people there. Yeah, here in Ohio, the governor, uh, Mike DeWine, has said the same thing. In fact, about two weeks ago, a uh, headline was, uh, DeWine wants to spend $388 million to put police officers in every school. Uh, and uh, it, he doesn't spe- specify, I don't believe, Dr. Lott, whether or not he wants him in uniform, because I agree with you for the obvious well, reasons. All, every bill that I've seen just says you take an officer and you put them in a school, which basically implies that they're going to be in uniform. And my advice is please, please don't put them in uniform. Please give them some other position like a staff or a PE coach or something. Oh, yeah. So that they just dress, like all, the other, just dress like all the other staffers and faculty in the building so that nobody knows. Um, it, it doesn't right. seem that difficult, and yet you're right. Uh, too many too many of these uh, you know, governors and others with the idea of uh, putting armed uh, staff in schools do want them in uniform for the purposes of I don't know. Uh, you know, they think it might be a deterrent if somebody sees a uniform. Oh, I got it. Well, it's the go. opposite effect. I mean, you have plenty of attacks that have occurred in places where we have 
armed officers, a single officer there. They have, look, these guys have an almost impossible job. We should thank them for the work that they do. But, uh, but we should make it easier for them, just like we set it up for the air marshals. And if you know some state legislators in Ohio, you know, have them call me up or whatever, or talk to them about putting an amendment on the bill there. Look, my own belief is that the less costly thing to do and the more effective is just to have it so that you have signs in front of the school that warn people that teachers and staff have it and have, have guns for protection. That's by far the most effective way to go and do, deal with it. Dr. Law, do you, um, why do you think it is that uh, they're not releasing the manifesto of shooters like the Nashville shooter? Um, is it because that would put the focus on that individual and their mental health and take the focus off of well, the they do it all the time. they want to blame? They do it. Uh, look, this is the first time I've seen them hold the manifesto. Uh, all the other manifestos are either released immediately right when the attack occurs or you find it or uh, within a day. Uh, I mean, now we're talking about weeks that the Biden administration has held on to it. They demanded it immediately. They demanded that the only copy be turned over to uh, to the Biden administration, and they've been holding on to it. So, you know, I mean, I can speculate. They're not saying why they won't release it. You know, it could be that this is a trans person and they don't want uh, that, that type of person to look bad. I don't know. I don't know. You'd have to ask them. But the media seems uninterested in asking the Biden administration why they're holding on to it and why they won't release it. But look, well, I have you're so many one of the foremost experts, Doctor Lott. You're one of the foremost experts on firearms in America and firearm laws and the Second Amendment, and and that's that's kind of where I'm where I'm going with this. I feel like they don't want to release the manifesto because it will take the attention off of the one thing they put the attention on immediately after every one of these shootings, and that is the gun. She had three three weapons, two rifles, and and a, and a handgun. She fired 152 rounds, 126 from the rifles, 26 from the handgun. That's all they want you to think about is the weapon, and that's why they call it gun violence instead of human violence. The guns didn't do it. The person did, but we have to take the focus off the person. Look, the whole gun control debate that we have right now would be dramatically different if the media just covered things like why these killers themselves say they picked the targets that they did. I mean, I want somebody to explain to me why it's not newsworthy to go and have the media ever cover why these guys picked the targets that they did. You will look in vain, the New York Times, the Washington Post, ABC, NBC, CBS, you know, you name it, won't mention that the Nashville shooter had another target but turned it down uh, when they realized that they had armed security there. You You won't find anybody mentioning the Buffalo mass murder or any of these other ones. You, why isn't it newsworthy? If we want to stop these attacks, can't we at least mention once in a while that these guys explicitly say they're picking targets where they know uh, victims won't be armed, that concealed handguns are banned, that it's a gun-free zone? Why isn't that something that they can ever mention? 
No, that's a great question. We're talking with Dr. John R. Lott. He is the president and founder of the Crime Prevention Research Center. Dr. Lott, the students poured out of Tennessee classrooms and flooded the state capitol. You saw it. Some people might call it an insurrection. They were led and guided by adults um, screaming about two things, screaming about uh, guns and, uh, you know, trying to ban what they like to call assault weapons, a term with, you know, without a definition, uh, and then and then about trans rights. They didn't mention a thing about the victims, nothing about the Christians who were targeted here, but they marched on the Capitol screaming about banning assault weapons. You guys do the numbers. You crunch the numbers. I see them on your page right now. How how often are quote-unquote assault rifles, as they define them, even used in attacks anyway? No, it's very rare. I mean, look, different people, different politicians have different definitions of what an assault weapon is. But if you go and just look at rifles, over the last 25 years, rifles of any type make up only about 14% of the mass public shootings. You have like 56% of them involve uh, some type of only a handgun that's used. And so, you know, uh, it's, but, you know, Biden goes out and he speaks about assault weapons, whether or not an assault weapon, even by his definition, is used in these different types of attacks. You know, it's uh, he goes to Monterey Park and calls for uh, in California calls for an assault weapons ban. Well, the guy used handguns, uh, and uh, you know the irony is he goes to California, makes a big deal about calling for background checks on the private transfers of guns, calling for an assault weapons ban, calling for red flag laws, and guess what? California, which has a much higher rate of mass public shootings per capita, even if you adjust for their larger population than the rest of the country, uh, has all those laws. It's more. And yet somehow we're supposed to be modeling the rest of the United States after them. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I wish, I wish uh, the media, again, we're talking about the media bias on this, but I wish the media once in a while would ask a question like, well, okay, you want these background checks on private transfers of guns. Can you point to one single case where uh, that would have been stopped if we had had such a law and it had been in, uh, perfectly enforced because they can't. I mean, I wish they would, you know, they come out and they say, we need to have this law and they, and somebody should ask, well, would it have stopped this last attack? And the guy would say, no. And they said, well, could you point to other cases? Is there one mass public shooting this century that would have been stopped? And they'd have to say no. And I think people would realize then that, even though they use these attacks to go and justify these laws, there's really other reasons why they're pushing for these laws uh, that have absolutely nothing to do with stopping these attacks. Well, to all of our listeners, I want to tell them to get to your website. Uh, the Crime Prevention Research Center website is actually crimeresearch.org, crimeresearch.org. It is just a wealth of information, all of the statistics, all of the facts, cutting through all of the BS you get from the administration and uh, from the gun control organizations about what's really happening with these mass shootings, finding soft targets in gun-free zones. Um, that that is uh, that is a, a crucial part of all of understanding how this is done, Doctor Lott. You guys do amazing work. Thank you for coming on. Thank you for opening the eyes of people who are only getting their information from the mainstream media. We truly appreciate that, sir. No, thank you for being there. I appreciate it. Thank you. Got it. We'll talk to you again. Thank you. Hopefully, about something that isn't following a mass shooting. Hopefully, we'll just talk about this from a preventative side and talk about the ongoing efforts. Because uh, 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 I'm, I for one, I'm getting sick and tired of this conversation. 
but it needs to be held because the media will not tell you the truth. Okay, 955, Always Right Radio continues on AM 1420, The Answer, after this. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. Always Right Radio with Bob Frantz on AM 1420. The answer. Our number two is now underway on AM 1420. The answer. Thanks for being with us on what we like to call in the business, at least on this radio program, Free For All Friday! <laughs> the 14th morning of the fourth month year of our Lord 2023. Thank you, Mr. Scream. Say hello to the missus for me. <laughs> Always nice to see a happy couple like that. So we, uh, we've got uh, Tom Z coming up in a half an hour. Tom Z is going to talk about this guy because he was there yesterday when Governor Ron DeSantis was the keynote speaker at the Summit County Lincoln Day Breakfast. The Summit County Republican Party Lincoln Day Breakfast was held yesterday. Normally these things are held as dinners, uh, but this time it was breakfast and uh, the keynote speaker was Governor Ron DeSantis from Florida. We're also going to be the first state to eliminate something that they call DEI. And DEI, they say, stands for diversity, equity, and inclusion. In reality, it's none of that. It's using the administrative apparatus of the university to impose ideology on the student body. The way this DEI is practiced, it's really division, exclusion, and indoctrination. It is a war on merit. It is a war on achievement. And it has no place in our public institutions. And in Florida, it will soon be dead on arrival. It was an absolutely packed house there uh, in Summit County for this tremendous event. And um, like I said, that's just a tiny clip of it. Governor uh, DeSantis gave a rousing speech, and he got rousing ovations. Uh, it almost seemed like a State of the Union address uh, because of the applause. The interruptions were applause. Uh, but I only saw it on video. Tom Z was there in person, and I'm going to get his perspective on it. That'll be coming up at 1035. And don't forget, Grover Norquist is going to tell us the truth about what the IRS is planning for you and for me with the hiring of of 30,000 new agents in the next two years. Grover Norquist from Americans for Tax Reform will join us at the top of the next hour. But for now, uh, it's uh, free-for-all, 216-901-0945, Either one of those numbers is good for me, uh, and it should be good for you as well. Let's go to Jack, who's calling us from the far east side of Cleveland, is what it says on my screen. How far How east been, are Bob? we talking? I'm good, Jack. How far east are we talking about? Oh, on the other side of uh, Pepper Pike. Oh, okay. All right. Well, I'm glad you're uh, glad you're checking in with, us, in with us. What's on your mind? When you're right, you're right. But I got to correct you. You've made yeah, a terrible okay. mistake, and I've got to correct you. Okay. Now, I'm a retired firearms dealer of over 30 years, and also a professional armorer of the same length of time. Okay. Now, and I'm also a historian of weaponry, military weaponry, especially. Now, you use this term, you guys are using this term, assault rifle, and I know you're saying that's wrong for semi-automatic weapons. That you're right about. But that term, assault rifle, is a real term, and I'm going to tell you how it came about. In 1943, Hermann Goering invited Adolf Hitler out to the shooting range in Germany. 
and Hitler had put out the order that there was no to be no, be no new weapons invented uh, during the war because he had what he wanted: Mauser rifles, Schmeiser submachine guns, and MG thirty four and forty two heavy machine guns. They were he was happy with that. Goering invited him out to the range for something special. He presented him with a version of what today is known as the assault rifle. Hitler took that MG, I mean that that uh, Sturmgewehr 43, and fired it and said, "I named this the Sturmgewehr." Sturmgewehr in German is assault rifle. That's where that term came from. Now, the weapons that these guys are using well, in the before street. Before you go on, before you go on, tell me, tell me what was different about this weapon that he presented him with that he, you know, that led him to make that statement. What was different about the? It was a semi-automatic. It, okay, it was a semi-automatic rifle and a full automatic rifle. It had a selector switch, and it was a, a a full battle rifle cartridge short. In other words, it was not a full size seven point ninety two millimeter by fifty four cartridge. It was short. Uh, in other words. It had a maximum range of 300 yards. That was the main key of that rifle. That's why it was invented, so that the troops can carry more rounds and they can uh, shoot a little less distance because most battles took place under 100 yards in the field. Okay. That's why that rifle was invented by Hugo Schmeiser, who invented also the MP40 Schmeiser submachine gun that you see all the Germans using all the time on combat. Now, uh, up to date... These rifles today, by like the AK-47, this was invented, incidentally, four years prior to the AK-47. Uh, uh, they think that uh, uh, Mikhail Kalashnikov stole Hitler's ideas, but that's not true. That, that's not true at all because it's a fully different functioning way of the weapon that is built. But up to date, the AK-47, the, uh, F, the, uh, the AK-47, the M4 rifle, American M4 rifle, uh, in the semi-automatic versions, they're called, and also the full automatic versions, are called combat rifles. The difference is between a combat rifle and a battle rifle is the length of the barrel and the size of the cartridge. These weapons today take intermediate cartridges, like 556 by 45 for the, uh, for the, uh, for the uh, M4, and 5.45 by the 39 for the AK-74. These are the latest weapons out there that the U.S. military and the uh, Russians use. So, in essence, you've got a situation where, okay, a battle rifle is a 20-inch barrel heavy rifle that shoots a full-size rifle cartridge, 308 NATO, and also 7.92 by 54 in the uh, Russian caliber. So that's the big difference. So when you, when you talk to these people, and they use this term loosely, uh, assault rifle, there is such a thing, but it is not a semi-automatic American-made or any other company country's weapon. It's a so. It's so a, let me let me ask you this: um, since you said this, uh, the term assault rifle was born of Hitler. Uh, yes, sir. That is correct. Me, is there anybody else around the world that considers a semi-automatic weapon, uh, like a semi-automatic rifle, like an AR-15, for example? Do they consider them assault weapons or assault rifles? Oh Anybody yeah, people like France in the West. In the West, mm-hmm. so, France, but, 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 Britain. But, but what I'm what I'm what I'm trying to point out, though, or or ask you because of your expertise, which is so much far superior to mine in this topic, is you know when you have a selector switch that can take a semi and make it a fully automatic weapon, that might be because I you know in in my 
in my understanding, or at least my, if I was to try to define assault weapon, I would term it's a combat it, rifle. That's well, a combat but, rifle. But specifically, I would term it to be a fully automatic rifle. That's what I would consider to be an assault weapon. Again, th- so when I say, and when John Lott said, there's no true definition for the term. You know, you you gave a great historical lesson there that where that definition actually came from. It is a, but it even is that true... one was even that one had a selector switch that you pointed on that goes from semi to fully automatic. So, right, it, you, wouldn't you it be fair it. to say that really fully automatic weapons, if there is to be a definition for assault rifle today, it would be a fully automatic weapon, not a semi-automatic weapon. Yeah, that's true. I agree with you on that. Okay. There's no problem there. I, I, because that's what I want to do is I want to bring – so when, when I see Kamala Harris, you know, jumping down to Tennessee to scream, ban assault rifles, ban assault rifles, and Joe Biden immediately goes on and wep- – uh, and, and, well, I almost said weaponized – politicizes the weapon story every time there's a mass shooting and says, we did it once before, we're going to ban assault weapons again. They're uneducated I, They're just imbeciles. using – yeah, that's, that's the point I'm trying to make here because that they is such a very loosely imbeciles. defined term. Even if it does have an original historical definition, today's definitions, I mean, they, they, they literally have no idea what they're talking about. That's exactly right. That goes for about maybe 70% of the American public, too. Yeah, probably. They I have no idea what they're talking about. No, they don't. And that's, but uh, it's uh, great... you let these people know when you talk to them about this and they start bringing stuff up, you let them know that term was invented by Adolf Hitler. Yeah, that's a great lesson. I will remember that historical lesson, I promise you. Hey, before you go, uh, Jack, and I'm so glad you called with that. This is really uh, informative. That's what I love about talking to a a smart audience. Um, Can you tell me every time there was a new evolution, for example, of a weapon like, you know, there was an M14 that became an M16, what what are they improving? What are they they making different each time? With the M14, they took that away because, number one, I hate to tell you this because you're not going to like this. They took it away from the Vietnam veterans and the and the South Koreans also the Americans in the in the Korean War, yeah, because it was too expensive. It was all machined parts, all from forgings, and that's very expensive. Okay, the M sixteen is cheaply made. It, it was cheaply made from the beginning by uh, Armalite. It um, you know had it had uh, uh, machine parts, but inside internal, and they had some stampings. The the uh, the stock. The stockets, I mean, the, the receiver that everything fits to was uh, forged aluminum. So it was cheaper to warm these troops by the hundreds and, and the thousands in Vietnam with an Armalite uh, M, 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 M16. The problem was the gun would bang, bang, jam, bang, bang, jam. It got a lot of us killed over there. It got a lot of our people killed over there. Yeah, yeah. And the troops at that time hated it. The weapon today is a wholly different weapon. It's been been upgraded. It's got a chrome lined barrel. It's got uh, a uh, new 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 type of uh, flash suppressor. It's got a, a manual that comes with it. They remember you ever heard anybody tell you about the old manual with the girl on the cover for no. the M sixteen? No, no, nothing. Well, there's there's a cartoon uh, cleaning manual that came out in Vietnam for the for the troops to show how to clean the weapon <laughs> because they thought they could shoot it and not clean it like an AK. You couldn't do that. An AK forty seven, Bob. Is probably the 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 most dangerous weapon on the planet. And I'll say that for a reason. They take that weapon. Anybody can use it. Your nine year old kid, if you had a nine year old kid, could take that out and go into battle. The troops in Africa, the guerrillas in Africa that are fighting the government over there, in different places of Africa, they're not arming nine year old and eight year old kids with AK forty sevens, and they're getting killed because they don't clean it. You can put it in the mud. You can bury it in dirt. And leave it there for a month. You put it in sand, pick it up, 
shake it off, it'll fire. M4 can't do that. Does that make it a superior? Does that make it a superior weapon? Do you think? Well, I'm curious as to why so many of our enemies, so many of our enemies throughout you know history since the development of the weapon, use AKs and not the U.S. military. Why? Why is it that we? That's because that's a Russian political weapon, and they and and let me tell you something. Mikhail Kalashnikov invented that weapon in 1947 for the Russian military. They wanted something for the conscripts that's easily able to use without a whole lot of excess work and, and uh, baby in it and all this type of stuff, and it worked. And that's why they use it. It's not any, 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 it's not as accurate as an AK, I mean as an M4 mm-hmm. at that barrel length of 16 inches, but it, it gets the job done, spray and pray. But the thing is with a semi-automatic rifle, uh, you know, they're pretty accurate, some of them. If you, if you, if you, it depends on who made it, uh, where it was made, and uh, if it's a parts build or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, from here in the states, okay. I mean, AK-74s are really the latest thing, Bob. That's well, that's a nasty round. You don't want to mess with that. No, I don't. I, no, no, I wouldn't want to be on the receiving end of any of them. Uh, <laughs> but I'm just. Yeah, I know, but an AK-74 is the Red Cross wanted to ban it. It's a cartridge by the Russians that uh, is used in mm-hmm. new AK-74s, which been out since 1974. And that weapon, that round, if it hits you in the arm. The arm's got to come off. And it's just a little bullet. It's not a big bullet. It's got an air pocket in between a steel uh, uh, insert and then the, the bullet on top of that. And when it hits the body, it tumbles inside violently. It doesn't yeah. go through like the AK-47 or the uh, 7.62 by 51 millimeter NATO. It goes. It stays right in the body, and it's very deadly. Well, for the purposes of our discussion, I will call that an assault weapon. I will call the AK-47 assault weapon. I will call any of the fully automatic combat weapons assault weapons, but they got to stop calling semi-automatic rifles assault weapons because that just is not accurate. Right, uh, now, Jack, I'm now. so glad you called. I learned so much from this conversation. Thank you for sharing your expertise with the rest of us, sir. You're welcome, Bob. God bless you. Uh, there you go. I, remember what I told you? Uh, it's so funny. I literally said this on the Prager Show uh, two days ago when I was hosting for Dennis. I said I love getting Dennis's national audience because there's so many incredibly intelligent people there who have so much to share, and I can learn about as much as I can share uh, with you about what I know on various topics. And uh, and then I brought that same message here, and I said I love this audience for that reason. That's an example. I throw out an uh, open lines call or a free-for-all Friday call, anything you want to talk about is fair game, and here comes Jack with one of the most, uh, what sounds like, distinguished resumes of weapons expertise that I have ever heard. That was phenomenal. Jack, thank you. We'll take a time out now at 1024, Always Right Radio on AM 1420, The Answer. Always right, Radio on AM 1420, The Answer. We're going to talk to Tom Zawistowski in about 10 minutes, and Tom is going to tell us more about this that happened in Summit County yesterday. One of the things we recognize in Florida is when we talk about the free state of Florida, yes, absence of COVID restrictions, yes, low taxes, all those things, important, but also recognizes that the left is trying to impose its agenda through virtually every artery of society, and that includes through major corporations. And you've seen these corporations try to move policy and things that don't even concern their businesses. We see concepts promoted like ESG, which all that is is a cover 
for them to be able to advance leftism through the corporate sphere. We've seen woke banks on Wall Street discriminate against gun owners, against conservatives, against people that don't share their agenda when it comes to access to financial institutions. And so in Florida, uh, we recognize that's a threat to your freedom as well. Uh, in fact, it may even be more of a threat because if they're trying to pursue a left-wing agenda through the legislature, guess what? We get to have our say every two years and we can vote the bums out. When they're doing it through the corporate sector, nobody's ever voted for these people. They're going outside the constitutional process to change policy on firearms, to change policy on fossil fuels. And I think all those policies they're trying to do are left-wing, and I think the policies themselves are wrong, but it's even more fundamental than that. It's about who governs. I want to be governed by we the people under the constitutional systems we have in place. I do not want to be governed uh, by corporate plutocrats who are on some ideological joyride. So we're standing up for people in Florida. Governor Ron DeSantis came to uh, Summit County's Lincoln Day Breakfast yesterday, Summit County GOP, and um, by the time he was done running through an exhaustive list of extraordinary accomplishments in Florida, um, accomplishments and victories, Brian Williams, the uh, Summit County GOP chair, who was the MC of this uh, breakfast, uh, got up there and thanked him and said to everybody as they exited, let's make Ohio Florida again. <laughs> and I absolutely love that because it's true. Florida is thriving and absolutely killing it under uh, Ron DeSantis's leadership, guidance, and aggressive agenda. He has just been phenomenal, uh, and I love the fact that uh, Brian Williams and others are saying, let's make Ohio Florida again. That's, uh, that's a great message. Tom Zawistowski was there. He sent me a couple of pictures of the packed uh, ballroom uh, for Ron DeSantis uh, yesterday, actually during our show. So I asked Tom to come on and give us his impression about what he saw, and he's going to do that. Right after the bottom of the hour break, which is here, we'll talk to Tom Z, then we'll get back to more phone calls. we got Grover Norquist coming up, so we're not done by any stretch of the imagination. Stay here on Always Right Radio, AM 1420, The Answer. You got to read between Waking up America from its woke slumber. Always right radio with Bob France on The Answer. And I ran in that election and won by 32,000 votes out of over 8 million votes that had been cast in that election. That was less than one half of 1%. And so you guys know Florida's history as being a swing state. We had had one point races, governor, president for the previous decade. 2010, 14, uh, 12, 16, 18. And so people told me, you know, it's a closely divided state. You barely got in. Don't rock the boat. You don't want to do anything that's going to upset this very delicate political balance. Just kind of keep your head down and, and not try to make too many waves. Well, I rejected that advice. My view was I may have received 50% of the vote, but I earned 100% of the executive power, and I intended to use that aggressively to pursue a conservative agenda. 
That is exactly what Florida Governor Ron DeSantis did after getting in. Uh, he was more aggressive in his first term as governor, I think, than anybody ever would have imagined, and maybe more aggressive than anybody has ever been, uh, especially when they creep in and barely sneak in by a half a percent. He was the keynote speaker. At yesterday's uh, Summit County Lincoln Day Breakfast, Lincoln uh, Summit County GOP, I should say, Lincoln Day Breakfast. And uh, uh, joining us now is somebody who is in attendance at that event, who's going to give us his perspective on uh, Governor Ron DeSantis and what is clearly uh, a very expansive uh, attempt, uh, or not attempt, but an expansive agenda of uh, declaring his run for the presidency. Our good friend, the founder of the We the People Convention, and the uh, leader of the Portage County Tea Party, Tom Zawistowski. Tom Z, good morning, my friend. Good to have you back. Good morning, Bob. Thanks for asking me to come on. Yeah, well, you know, I, re- I appreciated the uh, the snapshots you sent me of a full ballroom yesterday uh, during this event. So, uh, uh, And I also appreciate uh, the link to the video so I could watch Governor DeSantis speak uh, as well. But uh, it's a little bit different than being in the room. So I thought, you know, maybe you could tell us not only what Governor DeSantis had to say, but what did you glean from the other attendees about Governor DeSantis and uh, what is obviously, as I said, you know, uh, you know, the uh, the beginning segment of what is going to eventually be a presidential campaign. What was the feeling in the room yesterday? Well, there definitely was. Uh, uh, first of all, it was packed. There were 700 people there. You couldn't have fit anybody else in. There were people who came from Toledo and from Youngstown and, and South, you know, in Columbiana County and, and, and all over. So, Bob, the way I would characterize it was curiosity. Uh, these were people who wanted to see DeSantis in, in person, kind of size him up themselves, and uh, they wanted to hear, you know, what he had to say. And, and quite frankly, um, you know, they loved what he had to say. And, 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 you know, he's just very impressive, you know, as you can tell by the clips you've been playing. So it was a curious crowd. There, there definitely were Trump supporters who, you know, who were still, you know, loyal to President Trump, but are open to, uh, a, you know, a Ron DeSantis presidency, and, that, and they wanted to size them up so uh and that makes perfect sense i you know i mean obviously we we pack up when i say we i mean conservative republicans pack up lincoln day dinners all the time there was a great event uh, a couple of weeks ago with uh, uh with uh, ben carson at the medina county uh, uh lincoln day dinner so you know people come all the time no matter what but this this is a little bit different because this isn't just any speaker this is a guy who is perceived to be Probably the second uh, and maybe the greatest threat too, uh, in the second in the in the pack, if you will, in a potential primary to President Trump. Uh, he, of course, has also been the guy who has taken the uh, preponderance of the blows from President Trump in the very early going, even though he has not yet identified or himself as a candidate. But I can see why people would want to come to this one even more so than the other ones. Did you get any? Um, uh, any feedback, Tom, from people that you sat with or people that you socialized with, they came there to size him up. What was their impression? Yeah, I, I think that the big distinction was that he's unlike the Republicans we see here in Ohio, who all talk a good game and do nothing, he, he did everything. Not only did he do some things, he did everything. All the points that he, you know, checked off, whether it was about CRT or trans policy, whether it was about immigration and borders, doesn't matter. It's not, hey, I'm going to do this or I think we should do this. I already did it. That's was stunning. For, for the people in the crowd, the comparison to Ohio and, and, and how sad it is that we have exactly, exactly, if not more, 
of a quote unquote Republican supermajority in the House, the Senate, you know, the state House and Senate, and in our, you know, all the office holders. And yet we've done none of the things that DeSantis has done. And so it was stunning for people to hear that in the crowd because they're, they're, they're embarrassed. They're sad about the fact that our so-called Republicans in Ohio are all talk while, you know, DeSantis is all action. You know, I think that's very well said. And I, you know, I kind of referenced it, uh, uh, shortly before, um, you came on. Uh, Brian Williams, the chairman down there, the Summit County GOP, you know, wrapped it thanking Governor DeSantis and by saying, uh, let's try to make Ohio Florida again. Uh, and he said it almost with a bit of a, I don't know, uh, a, a kind of a dejected kind of an emotional uh, voice, yeah. you know, like, I wish this could be us. What you just heard, I wish could be us, was kind of what I took away from that. And, you know, I, I have to believe that there were a lot of other people among those 700 who felt the same way. I would love for Ohio to be run like this. Maybe the only way to make that happen is to get this guy in the bigger in the bigger house. Well, it's certainly, you know, I think a lot of people are struggling with, as, as you and I are, right, we, you know, when we talk, with the Republican Party itself. Yeah. Uh, you know, what is it really? And, and I said uh, in an NBC News uh, article, they quoted me as saying, you know, that, you know, I think that Ron DeSantis is out, without question the future of the party. The question is, is that future now or is that future later? Because I'm concerned uh, that we have a murder-suicide, is what I said in my quote, because we don't want him to take on Trump and have it get really ugly and not go well and then damage Ron DeSantis. And, and, I, and I think that's a really important thing that's on a lot of people's minds. We don't want to beat each other up. We want to beat up the Democrats. And, and DeSantis had a quote in that same article that I thought was really interesting. He said, winners get to make policy, the losers go home. Nationwide, the Republican Party has developed a culture of losing. I think that needs to end. No more excuses. Just get it done so we can save our country. I think that was a very powerful quote that kind of got lost in, in what DeSantis is saying, because I think your listeners and, and the people at this event do believe that the Republican Party doesn't know how to fight, and they're attracted to Trump and to DeSantis because they show how to fight, and they fight and win successfully. And, and I think there's a, a desire for that in, the, in the, at least the conservative Republican base. So there's a lot there to unpack, Tom. Um, if I wanted to, I could take that line that you just quoted as being kind of a shot at President Trump. Not really a shot at him personally, but when you talk about winning and the importance of winning this thing, there are a lot of Republicans who believe that Donald Trump will win the primary and he will lose the general election. That, that, you know, he lost the popular vote in the general election twice. Uh, we had a very disappointing turnout or di- disappointing result, I should say, in the 2022 midterms. A lot of his, uh, endorsed candidates didn't do great. All of these kind of things, there is a, there is a feeling among many, even Trump supporters, that, that question whether or not he can win. So when DeSantis pointed out, you know, that he won just by a half of a percent in, in his uh, first gubernatorial run there, and then after killing it for four years, won with uh, by a million and a half votes the second time around, 
60% of Hispanic vote, things that have never before happened in the state of Florida for a Republican candidate. I think he was trying, I could argue that he's trying to draw a distinction, saying that Donald Trump can't win uh, a general election. I am proving to you that I can win. Am I, am I reading that wrong, do you think, Tom, or do you think there's something to it? No, I, I think I think honestly, you know, uh, DeSantis can make that case. I, I think you know two things, are, you know, that are true is that he only won the first time because really Donald Trump, you know, really supported him enough to get him over. Yeah, I think him the across second that line, time, no doubt. <clears throat> yeah, the second time, I, you know, the re- people don't understand the real reason he won by as big a margin as he did is because he attacked the criminals in the Miami-Dade Democratic Party who had been rigging elections for decades. And when he wiped them out, remember he replaced the woman who had been the head of the Miami-Dade uh, you know, Board of Elections for years? And all of a sudden, shazam, DeSantis wins in Miami-Dade big time. Okay, So that shows you he knows how to attack the, the Democrat cheating infrastructure. Now, Bob, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to another level because you know that you know, from your and my standpoint, we're not partisan. I, I mean, I don't care if it's Donald Trump or Ron DeSantis or Mike Pompeo or whoever it is. I just want to win and I want to get my country back. So I want your viewers, your, your listeners to, to consider something that I'm working on that relates to all of this. Okay. I think we can't take any chances. I think we've got to go much bigger. So the We the People Convention is working with a group, a friend of mine, Larry Ward, has a group called uh, We Want Don Ron. They've been pushing for a unity ticket, Trump DeSantis as a unity ticket to run against Biden and whoever the heck he wants or whoever they want to put up. We have just written a check to uh, Rasmussen to do a national poll to see how people would react to a Trump DeSantis ticket versus Biden and and Harris and whoever. Now, why is that important? The answer for me, the problem for me, is the cheating. And and when you see these polls, you'll see polls now that after the indictment of Trump, he's leading Biden like 49 to 44 or something like that. And even DeSantis is in that same range. That's not good enough. I think a unity ticket of DeSantis and Trump, okay, Trump is president, DeSantis is second, would will poll at like 56% support. We've got to get bigger, a unified ticket. And so your, your listeners can go to donron.us if they want to see about this project, donron.us. And, and then, you know, what we need to do is forget about all the damn Republican politics where we're going to beat each other up and spend millions, if not billions of dollars, destroying ourselves while the Democrats have no challengers like Sherrod Brown won't in the Senate. And what I want to do, I don't know if you're familiar with the 2025 project that from Heritage. Your people are listening. Look up project. Uh, it's called project2025.org. Project2025.org. It's from Heritage. They are actually recruiting right now the 4,000 government officials to head all the government agencies that a conservative president would have to put in place if we can win in 2024. They're actually doing this. The problem we had when Trump won is nobody expected him to win, including himself probably, and he had no one to fill those slots, and we couldn't implement our policies. I want to put together a unity ticket next year where it is 
not just Trump DeSantis, but I want Vivek and I want Pompeo and I want everyone else to sign up to fill every position in government. And instead of us wasting money in the primaries, I want to be stating what we're going to do with the EPA, with the Small Business Administration, with the Agriculture Department, with every agency in the, in the government, so that when we win in November of 2024, we come in and we do what the Democrats did in spades with Biden, which was undo everything Trump had done, but we do it even better. And guess what? Trump DeSantis is not a four-year plan it's a 16 or 12 year plan. We can't fix this if we can't keep the commies out of our government longer than four years. And with DeSantis as vice president for four years okay. and then president for two after that, I think that's the answer our country needs. And I'm okay. supporting this uh, Don Ron ticket. Well, I'll tell you something, Tom. I wanted to give you as much uh, uh, room as I could there, but um, I, I'm, I'm biting my tongue here trying to jump in and okay. saying, stop, just stop. That will never happen in a million years. And the reason is Donald Trump. Donald Trump does not want anybody that can steal any of his spotlight. You know that, and I know that. There's a reason why the only candidate, Vivek Ramaswamy, he's not drawing fire from Trump. Trump. Nikki Haley's not drawing fire from Trump. Uh, Ace Hutchinson isn't even drawing fire from Trump. Neither is Mike Pompeo or Mike Pence or anybody else that might be in this race. It's all aimed at Ron DeSantis because Ron DeSantis made the mistake of doing too well in Florida and becoming too popular with conservatives. He steals some of the spotlight from President Trump, who will never, ever, ever allow that to happen. That's and I think if Donald Trump doesn't let that happen, he will not win in the primaries. Because if we can show in the polls, if we can you show in the polls that this unity ticket far outstrips anything he can do, we are going to trap them. We're not going to ask them, Bob. We're going to tell them. I'm not asking Donald Trump what he wants to do. I'm not asking... Ron DeSantis, what he wants to do. It's time for we, the people, to tell them what we want to do. And we want to save but our even country. If, even if DeSantis were to go along with that, which I don't think he would, for, for a lot of reasons, when, you're, when you are the number two to, my, to, to, to Donald Trump, you are the whipping boy. Anything that goes south, President Trump will point at him, just like he did at Mike Pence, and you will have to defend everything, any controversial things said or done, and you will have to attach yourself to that, and that's going to be something you wear. You say, you know, for the, you know, Ron DeSantis could be president for eight years after that. You will have to wear as you try to run for president after that. That's, that's, that's a part of this. So even if DeSantis said, I'm willing to go through that, I'm willing to do it, I'll be unified here, I'll do it. It cannot happen when Donald Trump spends all of this money and all of this time. It's April, and he's been doing this since January. He's been calling him a groomer and, and, and all of these horrific messages about Ron DeSantis. Um, Tom, uh, the, well, why was, so there's why no would he way to bring that, this together. Hold on, hold on. There's no way to bring this Hold on, hold on, I'm not going to run for president. I'm not going to run for president. I'm going to join you, President Trump. And I'm going to be your loyal vice president. Why would Trump continue to do that? Why would no? But, it, but it's the fact that he's already doing it. And if he does it for another another two months or three months or whatever, there is no way Ron DeSantis would ever do that. Look, if Donald Trump was running a campaign right now, and 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 looking at Ron DeSantis, his chief rival, and said that guy's good, that guy's really good. But you know what? I'm better. 
And here's why. Look at what I did during my four years, and look at what I know on the world stage. Look at the the, the you know the impact I've had on foreign uh, foreign affairs. Look at what's happening with China now under Biden and with 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 Putin and uh, invading Ukraine and all this other stuff. He said Ron DeSantis is good, but I'm better. That sets up a unity ticket. That sets up a I've got a great number two here, and we, together we're going to kill it. But instead, uh, 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 Tom Z, he's he's trashing Ron DeSantis. He's destroying him. He's calling him everything but 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 a man. He's praising for crying out loud, Charlie Crist, at, while he's ripping Ron DeSantis. He's praising Democrats and saying they're better than Ron DeSantis. Saying that Ron DeSantis only has all of this great stuff going on in Florida now, and people are moving there. It's not because of him. It's because there's sunshine and surf there. Well, there's been sunshine and surf there for, for the history of Florida, but this is the first time since 1957 that Florida is the number one growing population state in America. And it's because of what happened in the last four years. If Trump gave credit to that guy and said he's amazing and he's going to be a great uh, uh, leader in this party and I want him to join my ticket, that could happen. But instead he's trashing him and praising Democrats over him. How the hell do you build a unity ticket around that? Well, and that's the point. The point is that we're not going to build a unity ticket around that. And so we can just let this play out and be the disaster it will be because the whole primary will be it's disgusting and, and destroy our chances to win. Or we can try to change Trump's attitude. I don't care whether Donald Trump acts that way or not. I know one thing. He knows numbers. The numbers, I think, and you can, your viewers can call in. Would you vote for a Trump-DeSantis ticket versus you know, Biden and Harris? And, and we're not just polling Republicans. We're going to poll you know, Rasmussen is polling the independents and Democrats. Let's see how it turns out, because I think numbers speak loudly to Donald Trump. He wants to win, and I don't think we're going to win in a close race after we beat each other up and spend all our money. So I'm trying to do something about it. I really don't worry about Donald Trump, what he wants. I worry about what we, the American people, want. And if he wants to fight a unity ticket that the polls say will work, he's not going to win. It's going to hurt his chances. Well, you, and I, you know, you know but, but I was Tom, one of the biggest Tom, supporters you know the in old Ohio. Phrase, you know the old phrase, you can wish in one hand and blank in the other and see which one fills up first. You'd be wishing that Donald Trump would stop this and, and unify and bring Ron DeSantis in. And instead... What you what you're going to have the reality that you have to acknowledge here is that President Trump is in no way, shape, or form going to embrace somebody who is as popular as he is. And you can wish that he changes it. You can wish that you know. It, it, and the other thing is this: you what he has done so far, Tom, and and numbers will bear this out too. If you were to do a survey of just MAGA members, MAGA supporters. You would, you would ask them, you will see a significant number of them, because I see it on social media every day, of his supporters saying, if it isn't Trump as the nominee, I'm voting for the Democrat. Or if it isn't Trump as the nominee, I will sit this one out. They are trashing DeSantis because their leader is trashing DeSantis. They are not saying that if if our nominee is Ron DeSantis, I'm all in. If Tim Scott is our nominee, I'm all in. It's Trump or nobody. It's Trump or nobody, and that's because that's what President Trump has has created. That's what he's built here. So what I want to see is I want President Trump to put his hand in the air, along with Ron DeSantis and every one of them saying, whoever wins this thing fair and square, we will circle the wagons around and support as our nominee, and we will go forward and help them. He won't do that, and that's a problem. Well, I, I think I think he will do that eventually. And I, and I'll I do that. A lot, 
I'll say okay, I will support I Donald do Trump that. to the ends of the earth if he's our nominee. I will exactly. I will, I'll I'll but, I'll I'll trick out my red truck and make it a Trump truck. I'll do whatever I have to do to promote him if he's our nominee. But I don't know that he will do the same for any of the others, and that is where you know the lack of unity that you're talking about comes in. Without doubt, and I think, uh, quite frankly, I think that if we can't have this unity ticket I'm talking about, I think Ron DeSantis should just sit it out. I think he should sit it out. It's not worth having the Civil War. It's just not worth it. And, and it's, it's going to be horrific. And so that's why I'm trying to do something about it. And uh, I'll be interested to hear what your callers think. Well, yeah, but we'll I'm do supporting that. Trump to Sanus. That's what I think is the winning ticket. And I don't even want to have primaries. I don't, I don't want to spend millions of billions of dollars on primaries. I want to use it to beat up the Democrats. I want to spend the next year and a half building the whole plan on who we're going to prosecute, what agencies we're going to shrink. I want to get this thing, this Project 2025, you know, out of the uh, heritage. I want to fill those with the best people well, ever because we're at war and we're in but, trouble. But what we're talking we're about is science fiction, my friend. It cannot happen. It will not happen. It just won't. There's no way Ron DeSantis is going to join forces and pledge his fealty to a guy who spent all of this time trashing him and calling him everything but a man. Uh, and that's that that that's just it's science fiction. I, I appreciate the gesture and I love the passion, uh, Tomzy. Uh, and we'll see what people say. And we'll see yeah, what well, the let's numbers see what show. Our poll says. But, let's yeah, see what we'll see what the numbers says. say. I mean, you right feel on. that way. Right on. Let's see what our polls say. Well, I'll have see the data for say, you guys probably next uh, week. Okay, my okay. friend, Tomzy. Thank right. you. God bless you, my Thanks. friend. Ten fifty nine. We took it all the way to the top of the hour. Sorry about that, but we do have to get to our newscast. We'll come back on the other side and talk taxes. And the attack on the American people by Joe Biden's IRS. Grover Norquist will join us on AM fourteen twenty. This hour of Always Right Radio is brought to you by the Floor King and KeepingMedicareSimple.com. You and I know and do not believe that life is so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery. If nothing in life is worth dying for, when did this begin? just in the face of this enemy? Or should Moses have told the children of Israel to live in slavery under the pharaohs? Should Christ have refused the cross? Should the patriots at Concord Bridge have thrown down their guns and refused to fire the shot heard round the world? The martyrs of history were not fools. And our honored dead, who gave their lives to stop the advance of the Nazis, didn't die in vain. Where then is the road to peace? Well, it's a simple answer after all. You and I have the courage to say to our enemies, there is a price we will not pay. There is a point beyond which they must not advance. This is Always Right Radio with Bob Frantz on AM 1420, The Answer. Hour number three underway now on Always Right Radio, AM 1420, The Answer. Thank you to Tom Z for such a, uh, a very spirited discussion. We, bought, we both want the exact same thing. We want a conservative Republican to win the White House in 2024. Absolutely. And his method of making that happen, while noble, I just think is science fiction. There is no way those two guys team up. No way. Neither one of them would want it for a variety of reasons. 
But we will wait and see what the poll shows. He's going to—he's actually given money, he said, to Rasmussen to uh, conduct the survey, and we will wait and see how that turns out. So uh, really great stuff with Tom Z. Appreciate that. Uh, I want to pivot now. Let's talk about the continued weaponization of the government against the American people uh, by its agencies. This time around, of course, it's going to be the IRS. We know that uh, in one of their over budget, overinflated uh, budget bills, uh, they went ahead and uh, greenlit enough money to hire 87,000 new IRS agents in the coming years. Apparently, 30,000 of them are scheduled now in the next two years. So they're getting ready to start crawling up your behind with a microscope to look for every receipt to make sure that every red nickel they can get out of you, they are getting out of you because they want to spend more. Uh, joining us now to discuss what they are doing to us, is Americans for Tax Reform President Grover Norquist. Grover, good to have you back on the air in Cleveland. How are you, sir? <clears throat> Excuse me. My goodness. Delighted to be in Cleveland with you. It's, uh, tax Day is uh, Tuesday, so yeah. uh, merry, merry, happy Tax Day. For those who don't know, is it just because uh, uh, the 15th is a Saturday? Is that why they bumped it to Monday or Tuesday? There are a number of things. It's, I think the Monday is a holiday maybe in D.C., mm-hmm. Some, if a DC holidays will push it off a, a day because so much of the IRS is in DC. Uh, so Sundays bounce it and uh, uh, different holidays bounce it. So it is the 18th this year, and so yeah, let's talk, let's talk. Um, so let's talk a little bit about this uh, this new development. I love the uh, the town hall uh, article headlined: IRS plans to hire 30,000 more agents to harass hardworking Americans. You know, they're trying to tell us that these agents. First of all, these aren't all agents. The 30,000 more the new hires. They're not all agents to to conduct audits, and they continue to say Grover that they are only targeting the richest Americans, over four hundred thousand dollars or some odd number. Those are the only ones who would be subject to new scrutiny uh, when it comes to to potential audits, that they're not targeting middle-class Americans. Do you believe them? Uh, no, and and they're lying, and they know they're lying. Uh, just the other day, the IRS came out and said that they've got some new regulations to go after people who uh, have a lot of their compensation and tips, okay? So they're sharpening their lives for waitresses and waiters and barbershops and hairdressers and people who do nails. Uh, people who work for tips, uh, a lot of time and effort going into that, new regs coming out. Uh, that is not billionaire territory. Uh, then before that, uh, they sent out that new, they passed a law, passed a law, uh, that uh, there'd be a 1099K. Now, 1099 is if you're working in the gig economy or an independent contractor, you don't have a boss, you get paid by somebody to be a plumber uh, or something. 1099K is you get any money for any reason from Venmo, PayPal, uh, eBay, because uh, you sold something. That goes to the IRS. And the IRS says, oh, I see you've sold a motorcycle for $1,000. That's $1,000 in income. Well, maybe I paid a lot more than $1,000 10 years ago for it. Uh, well, you better be able to prove that with a receipt. So they are stripping you of all your financial uh, privacy, and it is now going to be incumbent on you to prove that any money that you know, two or three friends get together and Venmo each other money to pay the rent. Well, that could look like a whole bunch of income to you. Prove it's not. <laughs> it, could, it just goes to me, and then I pay the rent with it. But yeah, prove it. Uh, they are 
they are going after middle-income Americans focused on smaller businesses, self, and this is in their own words, self-employed people, independent contractors, people in the gig economy, Uber, Lyft, all of those things. And this is targeted at middle-income people. Now, we saw what they did with, with rich people. The IRS actually stole and gave to uh, a left-wing group, ProPublica, mm-hmm. uh, thousands of different uh, IRS returns and audits. And they were going to prove that these billionaires, millionaires were not paying any taxes. Of course, when they looked at it, they were. And the argument that they aren't being audited was kind of blown up by the fact that much of the stolen data were, in fact, audits. Uh, but they still held the press conference saying this all proves uh, that, that we should have higher taxes on rich people and more auditing there. Uh, the, the willingness of the IRS to take your tax return, your financial, uh, and this is what they did to rich people. Imagine what they'll do to the rest of us, right? Bloomberg, Bloomberg, ran for president as a Democrat against mm-hmm. uh, Biden. His stuff was put up, was, was shipped out to this left-wing group. That was two years ago. Nobody's been fired. Nobody's been disciplined. The secret uh, uh, investigation that somebody's running, when the Republicans ask, could you tell me who did what and what's going on? Oh, there's an investigation. Who's doing it? Well, we can't tell you. What did they find? We can't tell you. This isn't the IRS is an agency that's run amok. Uh, they have a union uh, of the financial disc- the financial disclosure of the union's money that they give to Democrats. 98% of their contributions go to Democrats. We have a one-party bureaucracy in the IRS. Who do you think they're targeting? Grover, um, Grover Norquist is my guest. He's the president for America or of Americans for Tax Reform. Grover, we know who they're targeting, and and you, great explanation of how and why they're lying about it. Um, let's 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 talk strategy or advice. Talk to middle class Americans who are my listeners. Tell them what they can do if they're in the gig economy to make sure that they don't get bitten by this and hurt by this. Tell self self employed Americans, people I know personally, uh, you know, again, they're just making it. They got a small business or self employed business, and they are t- being targeted. You, you 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 laid it out so perfectly. What can they do? Uh, other than dot every I and cross every T and save every receipt for every uh, you know water bottle they buy or whatever the case might be, what can they do to protect themselves? Well, when Obama was president, he passed the same law about the 1099 case to go after independent contractors. The uproar was so strong that they dropped it. Uh, but now they're back. They passed it again under Biden, hidden in the first big uh, bill big piece of legislation they passed. Um, This can be undone. Literally, call your congressman. Call your congressman. Call your senator. The trade associations that represent larger companies are not focused on this. They're not generating the uproar. We need to do it. You need to talk to your congressman. Talk to your senators. uh, Send them a note. If you see them at some political event, remind them. Talk to other people at, at uh, political functions. Uh, they need to hear grassroots opposition. This can be repealed. Now, you may have read, your, your listeners may have heard or, or read that they're not enforcing it this year. Well, sort of true. They claim they're not going to, but the law remains there and it is still the legal requirement 
of eBay and so on to send that to the to the uh, IRS so they can use it for auditing purposes. They first of all, there's no law that says they're allowed to disobey a law, right? <laughs> and then. They can't tell somebody, I know we told you to send us this paperwork, and if you didn't, you're breaking the law, but we, the bureaucracy, not Congress, we, the bureaucracy, we've decided not to to enforce this this year. They did that in order to take the wind out of the sails of the legislation that would have repealed having this intrusion into people's lives, period. If it gets ahead of steam up again, we can get this repealed. But what they did do is they thought, well, why would I worry? Why would I sweat this, it's been, it's not being enforced now. It could be enforced next week or next year. It needs to be repealed. Well said, uh, as always. Uh, Grover Norquist giving us a little bit of advice. Uh, anything, by the way, for the uh, deadline coming up on Tuesday, as you pointed out, anything new in uh, the code, and, and not suggesting people have a whole lot of time to fix things now if you haven't already filed, but if people are still working on their 1040s, if they're doing it on their on their turbo, turbo taxes or whatever, anything new in this year's uh, a code or uh, that they need to be aware of before they file? It, not particularly. There may be some regulations on specific industries that I'm not on top of, but the Republican tax cut that Trump signed um, in 2017 remains largely intact. Uh, at the end of 10 years, it does disappear. So if we need to make it permanent, but that was five years ago. Uh, there will, over the next several years, uh, be a reduction uh, in the value of your ability to expense new new buildings and equipment and businesses, that's going to harm and reduce new investment. Uh, but that's something coming in the next couple of years. The biggest threat are all is the list of all the tax increases that Biden wanted. He wants to tax unrealized gains. So if you have stock in a company and your pension, for instance, um, <clears throat> it goes up in value, but you don't sell the stock because you're not retiring for 20 years. Uh, the, the government wants, this is what Biden wants to do. He wants to say, oh, the value of your stock went up $2,000. Uh, we're taxing it. But, but I don't have the money. I didn't sell the stock. Yeah, but we claim that's income. Well, but next week, if it goes down again, well, we'll deal with that later. Yeah, well, exactly. What if, what if next year I lose a ton of money on that very same stock? Are you giving me that back? Are you giving me that huge break back uh, so that I don't owe those taxes next year? Well, they claim they will, but can you imagine? They'd be writing, you know, Elon Musk loses like $20 billion some weekends. Are they, is the government really writing him a check um, for a chunk of that? I, no, I'm not, not sure that that not a chance. would be going on. I think it would be all up and no down. They'll go, well, well, when it goes back up again, we won't tax you or something. Uh, <laughs> yeah, first they're, of all, and they're going to be able to track that effectively as well. They're going to trust. There's not a chance. And then, you know, people will have to say, well, this is what my, you know, they'll, they'll file whatever the little form is that says you took money for me on on income gained, even though I did not sell that stock and, and the, you know, the value went up and so forth and you owe me it back now. And and they're just going to trust that people are doing it right. And they're going to say, oh, yeah, yeah, we remember that. We uh, we told you we'd do it. And here's your, you know, here's that money back. It'll never happen in a million years. What, That's why this is what so if you and your what if you and your spouse have a small business? It's not on the stock exchange. <laughs> How did it going to have somebody come in and say, we think you did really well this year. We think the value of your little thing that you run out of your backyard is now this, and we tax you on gain that you don't have. That you don't realize, um, right. 
Yep. You don't actually yep. you don't yeah. actually receive those gains, but the value of it is is higher based on their estimate of it, and therefore you have to pay us for it. Yeah, it makes no sense whatsoever. But this is um this is why we have to keep such a close eye on it. And quite frankly, uh, I know you're not necessarily political about this, but why we need to uh, change leadership because we simply cannot go on if this is the policy and leadership. By the way, not just in the White House, but anybody in the Congress who's responsible for writing legislation that allows this crap to happen, uh, which of course they passed. Grover Norquist, President of American. One more thought, Grover. Go ahead. Oh, just that we have almost every Republican has signed the Taxpayer Protection Pledge to never raise taxes, but there are a few that haven't. So ask your congressman or senator if you run into them. Have you signed the Taxpayer Protection Pledge? Or you can come to our website, ATR.org, and check and see which of your state legislators, governors, and uh, congressmen, senators have taken the pledge. Almost all the Republican that pledge doesn't mean much pledge. to me, though, Grover. That pledge doesn't mean much because that that just means we I won't vote for something that is specifically defined as a tax increase. But if I vote for a bill that allows thirty thousand more agents to be hired or eighty seven thousand more agents to be hired, they're going to come and take more of my money in whatever way that they can. It 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 is a de facto tax increase, but it just means well we didn't I didn't vote for something that said the 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 marginal tax rate raises from X to Y. Uh, there are so many. Yeah. Ways they can raise taxes on us, so that tax pledge. I mean, it's a no, it's a noble gesture, but it doesn't do much for me. Well, it's it has stopped actual tax increases as long as the Republicans had either house since 1994. There's been no tax increase that's passed in in, 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 in that specific that. way, right? No, I get that in that specific yeah. way of again yeah. raising an actual rate. But there are ways they can raise our taxes. I mean, you know, we so, you've talked about this. We've talked about this just with the um, uh, the record high inflation that we've uh, we've endured over the course of the last uh, year and a half or so. You know, got it up to nine nine point five percent. It's still around six point five percent. When the Biden administration came in, it was at one point nine percent. I think one point six maybe it was when Trump left office. So you know, those are de facto tax increases. As well, all uh, you know, regulated by or legislated by a result of uh, you know legislative policy. So you know, there's so many ways they can raise our taxes, and I'm glad to hear what you just said is true since 1994. But uh, it's got to be much more than just saying, "Hey, I promise I won't actually draft a bill that says we're raising your taxes." Well, I can't. They can't vote on it. Can't vote for it. Can't um, vote for it. Right. And we've stopped a lot of tax increases, but as you point out. The cost of government is total spending plus the regulatory burden. That's the cost of government. How you finance it, whether you take the money in taxes or borrow it, is a separate question. But the deadweight cost is how much you spend. And that ultimately is what we have to bring down. Of course. And we, we're going to raise the debt sale they're negotiating. They raise it every single time they come up against it because there is no accountability whatsoever. Uh, and, and so that spending will continue. Grover Norquist, eye-opening stuff. Thank you so much for what you do with Americans for Tax Reform. We appreciate it. You got it. Thank you. That's Grover. It's 1125. We'll take a time out here. And finally, that's the last guest today, so finally a chance for you to get back in. We had a couple of calls earlier on, but I uh, didn't have a ton of time. So if you want to make those calls, do it now. 216-901-0945 or 888-281-1110. Get in line. We'll bring you up and on the radio. I've got about another 20 minutes or so with you, so let's do this on AM 1420 The Answer. This hour of Always Right Radio is brought to you by The Floor King and KeepingMedicareSimple.com. Oh, 
my, oh my, what a Friday it has been. Uh, got about, eh, we'll call it seven minutes left on AM 1420, The Answer with you. 216-901-0945. Uh, great conversations all the way around today. We talked with Dr. John Lott on the gun control issue and the ongoing uh, attempt to um, uh, disarm Americans and make them sitting ducks for, for would-be mass shooters. Uh, we also spoke with Tom Zawistowski, who was in uh, Summit County yesterday for the Summit County GOP um, Lincoln Day Breakfast with keynote speaker Ron DeSantis. Tom wants Don Trump and Ron DeSantis, Don Ron, he's calling it, to be on the ticket to unify and uh, run for president and vice president. I think it's a, it's a decent enough idea if the personalities worked. They don't. I think it's science fiction to think that it, that it could, to be 100% honest with you. I really, really do. Uh, but at any rate, uh, that's what Tom is endeavoring to make happen. He's even conducting a poll. He's got a, uh, he's funding, I should say, the, uh, uh, a poll, a commissioning of a poll with Rasmussen to find out what that would look like and whether or not uh, that would have a chance against Biden-Harris or whatever the Democrats put. So great conversation with him. And then, of course, we just had Grover Norquist. So great conversations. If you missed any of them, catch them after the show at whkradio.com on the podcast page, whkradio.com. All right, I'm told I've got John Stover on the line. John Stover is our good friend. He is the president of Ohio Value Voters. John, good Friday to you. How are you, sir? Good, Bob. How are you doing? I'm good. What's on your mind, my friend? Well, let me tell you, I uh, listened. Uh, you know, I wasn't able to catch all of the uh, program today. I uh-huh. apologize up front. I'll, uh, you know, I'll give you <laughs> my friend's help. You mean you don't listen to <laughs> but... all three hours every single day? I mean, how dare you? <laughs> I know, I know. No, but I did catch the spirited conversation between you and Tom. And let me just say this, uh, Bob. Uh, there's no doubt about it that uh, this would be the ultimate dream team, um, you know, President Trump and Ron DeSantis, you know, a Trump-DeSantis ticket. There's no doubt about that. I mean, I, I agree with Tom 100%. I also agree with you from the perspective that I firmly believe that, I mean, every time I see the commercial, you know, that Trump's putting out against Ron DeSantis regarding, uh, you know, these things, you know, I'm questioning whether the bridge has already been burnt to the ground. I mean, if, if you know, if... Uh, you know, the former President Trump has not had, uh, you know, 10 gallons of gasoline lit it, and it's just completely cindered. I mean, even if he did, President Trump come to his senses and say, you know what, I'm going to offer the VP slot to the governor. He's going to be, I have to imagine, he's going to say to himself, wait a minute, uh, after, after everything I've been through, you know, uh, Bob, real quick here, my father, uh, back in the mid-60s, you know, he sent a letter to then Governor Ronald Reagan, and the governor responded, and uh, my father was always, always a big Reagan supporter. Urged him to run for president, and I can still remember my father showing me the letter years later. He had said a few ill things about some other Republicans. Wouldn't you know it, in that letter that came from uh, Governor Reagan, he said, he, he mentioned the 11th commandment then about not speaking ill will of a fellow Republican. That's right. This is something that is not even in, uh, being considered about President Trump right now. And uh, would, would I like to see uh, you know, such a ticket? Absolutely. But I, I have to say, I, I don't know if the bridge has already been burnt, and I, uh, I certainly yeah. agree with you. I think, I think it most definitely has. And the sad part is, is President Trump, while being given credit for being politically savvy for an outsider, I think is completely missing the boat here because I believe he would expand his voter base if he did That's it right. my way. If he said, 
boy, Ron DeSantis is a great governor, so much better than that Democrat Charlie Chris. I'm so glad I gave him the endorsement when I did. He spent the last four years just turning that state around. It's wonderful what he's done. By the way, I'm better. And I'm ready for this moment to be president for the, uh, you know, in the 2024. And in fact, I would love to have Ron DeSantis' support because he's so good, but I'm better. Look at my record and then run through his four years of success. He does that. Uh, John, I think he pulls in not just the MAGA supporters who already love him, but the moderates who who, who are leaning toward Ron DeSantis and said, yeah, you know what, um, that's, a, that's a really great thing. Then DeSantis maybe says, you know, maybe it wouldn't be a bad idea to team up with, bad idea to team up with this guy. But you know what? That's right. What he's done instead is he has put Ron DeSantis in a position where he has to not just swallow his pride, but every ounce of dignity that he has mm-hmm. as a, as, mm-hmm. as a, as a veteran, a U.S. Navy veteran, an extraordinarily successful person in every aspect of his life. Donald Trump goes on TV and says, Ron DeSantis came to me in tears. He was crying and begging me for an endorsement. He literally was crying. You know, no, he wasn't. You're lying. Um, you're, right. you're saying that Ron DeSantis was doing inappropriate things with high school girls because he posed in a picture at one of their graduation parties with the girls that he taught, uh, suggesting that he's grooming on his truth social things. That's what they did to Brett Kavanaugh. You do all of those things to a guy. You say that his state is only successful because there's sun and surf there. There's always been sun and surf there, and the state has never been the way it is now under Ron DeSantis. You do all these things to this guy and then say, now, go on TV and pledge your loyalty to me as my number two. Tell everybody how great I am. Tell everybody how great mm-hmm. I'm going to be. Mm-hmm. You, you cannot expect a man to do that. You just That's can't. Right. It, would, it would destroy right. everything that he has built in his career thus far and every ambition he has in the future if he takes that abuse from a man and then says, okay, I'm going to kiss this man's ring. You can't. That's right. You know, that you know, yeah, Bob, you're 100% right. And even if uh, President Trump did all of a sudden get uh, a dose of humility and said, you know what, I was wrong in what I did, and he went and he, you know, uh, uh, contacted uh, Governor DeSantis. I. <laughs> I, I tell you what, you'd have to have a double dose of humility on the uh, side of uh, forgiveness on the side of the wood based upon everything that's happened here. Uh, it, it, it definitely would be a team that everyone would like to see. And it's unfortunate that uh, President Trump has uh, not looked at it yeah. uh, appropriately and correctly. And having said all of that, I said this earlier this week, I firmly believe Trump is going to win the primaries. And when he does, I will circle around him and support him every inch of the way, every step. And I know Ron DeSantis will, too, because he cares about the country and he cares about stopping the Democrats. So we have to find a way past all of this and everyone agree to support whoever is our nominee. Uh, John Stover, thank you, my friend. I appreciate the call. That is going to do it for us. We're out of time. Great phone call to wrap up the conversation on today. Thanks to my guests. Thanks to my team. And thanks to you for listening. Have yourself a great weekend. Be well. Be safe. Stay free. We'll see you Monday. Bye-bye. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.